Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this parable. Uh, We just pray that it would feed our hearts, that we would allow it to work in us, and that we would experience you and our neighbor in a different way today. In your name we pray, amen. For those of you that uh, are still getting used to the fact that we're... um, we're not printing the scriptures in the bulletin. Please feel free to head back and grab a Bible on the back table there. Um, that won't bother me at all. And um, if you do have your Bibles, if you want to open up to uh, Luke chapter 10, that's where we'll be kind of hanging out today more or less. Um, I hope some of you have heard really awesome sermons on this parable. Um, it is remarkable. I can't possibly dig so deeply into this in, in the few minutes that we have together, which I should track while I'm thinking of it. Um, I want to focus on one particular aspect of this, and that's the phrase, the guy wanted to justify himself. We're going to talk about justif- self-justification today. <clears throat> I was um, jogging the other week uh, along the, the dunes, and in my mind, uh, which happens to me when I jog, it was it's kind of uh, going over something that was bothering me at work, and, and I, I was playing out in my mind a conversation with somebody at work that was, well, now that I look back on it, was positioning myself in a certain way. I, I was winning an argument, just to be straightforward about it. <laughs> um, the guy had no chance in my mind. Somehow it doesn't work out that way. Anyway. And uh, I, I don't know how that happens. I, if something was bothering me, and I was kind of role-playing, you know, kind of thing. And um, all of a sudden, I hear this voice, and there's this young girl calling to me. She's saying, hey, hey. <laughs> and I turn my head, and she said, look at these butterflies. And there on this big rock by the dunes there, there was somebody had eaten a watermelon or something and had left a little bit of the rind, and there was just a... I don't know, what do you call a flock of butter, butterflies? What's the right word? <laughs> there was this group, this fellowship of butterflies. <laughs> and it was really striking. And I, I kind of tried to transition in my spirit to that moment and celebrate that with her, which I kind of did. And, and I, I, I mumbled something, I can't remember what. It, it was, you know, I kind of made nice, and then I went on my way, and it was really... Awesome, actually. It was such a delight to be captured by this girl's delight. And the fact that she, for whatever reason, had no fear and, you know, kind of chasing me down and wanting to share that with me. It was remarkable. But I, I, I jogged away thinking, you know, I, I could have been more present to that. Like, I wanted to bear witness to the Lord. I wanted to say something about, like, praise God. He's so good. I, I wanted to give expression to him, too. But I was so dialed into a different channel that I, I missed something. I missed the sight that this girl had, and I missed an opportunity to bring it to fruition in my own way. I didn't have God's sight. Now, I'm not talking about simply being distracted. I, obviously, th- this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being distracted by a certain kind of thing. I was thinking, you know, about myself. I was thinking about justifying myself. And the, the, the fact that I was doing that blinded me to something. And, it, you know, we do this all the time. We do this, self-justification. 
And that's why we need the correction from Proverbs where it says, be not wise in your own eyes, where our vision is filled with our own issues and our minds are occupied with defending ourselves. And I wanna, I wanna capture this a little bit more fully as we move along here. We're prone to put it like Proverbs does, to be like fools. Fools who are right in our own eyes. And there's, a, there's an end point where we've come to be right in our own eyes, and then there's the process of making ourselves right in our own eyes so we get there. I'm talking about the whole thing. So it's not only the coming to the conclusion that I'm right, it's all the time that it took me to get there and all the things I have to do to make sure that it works out that way. Sometimes these things just happen in a split second. We're so good at it. That's our human nature. We're prone to be like fools. Here's kind of what this sounds like uh, when we're right in our own eyes. We might, it might come out of self-defensiveness. I, you know, take out the garbage. I always take out the garbage. You know, that's a kind of a self-justification. Of course, I, I always take out the garbage. Or how about this one, making excuses. It, it's not my turn. I know that thing's important, but it's, it's not my turn. Or how about all kinds of subtle deceptions? Hey, I, I, I'm sorry I'm late. I got a phone call. Really? You know, yeah. Maybe you did get a phone call or maybe you didn't. It's an easy excuse to kind of say, hey, I'm sorry I was late. How about blame shifting? Would you stop nagging me? This isn't about me not doing my job. This is about you nagging me about me not doing my job. Or how about omniscience? This is one of my favorites. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> wow. I know. Hey, did you know that the lawn needs to be? I know, I know. Of course I know that. I know everything. You know? These are all, I'm not speaking about my son, Michael. He happens to be the lawnmower in my family. But <laughs> just came to mind. Sorry, Michael. I know, I know, I know. We are so good at this. We do it. It, like we breathe. It's our default mode to self-justify and to deflect any attempt, uh, uh, any, any, uh, to, to deflect any kind of emerging uh, feeling that we might not be right or that we might be exposed. And of course, those are just the, you know, those are just the easy ones. This has very negative consequences in us. Versions of these attempts to be right get into our marriages, our families, our jobs, our church relationships. They are the worst when they get garbled with spirituality and we justify ourselves using scriptural or spiritual language. This is very common. And we're going to read about that in a moment in this parable. Self-justification always blinds us, always. It always blinds us. There's never self-justifying behavior that ever gives us clear vision, ever. Self-justification will always blind us to God's sight. Why? Because God alone justifies God alone justifies. And when we take that on ourselves, we automatically close the blinds to God. And not just to God, we, I mean, we close ourselves to ourselves. You know, the, the Proverbs uh, talks about the possibility of the healing of your flesh. When, when we justify ourselves, we close that down. We, we subdue the work of God in us to heal us, actually. It's the very thing that we're trying to do when we self-justify is to self-heal, to self-protect. And God is saying, no, I want to do that. That is my territory. We, we also lose ourselves to the reality of other people. 
in the Proverbs language, which I'm picking up in here, it's listening to advice. When we're trying to self-justify, we foreclose other people's advice into our own lives because we're afraid of it. It, it might bring us shame. It might bring us a word of correction. We certainly blind ourselves to the need of others, which is what's happening in the parable of a Good Samaritan. And of course, we're blinded to God and to the relationship that he wants to establish with us because when we're self-justifying, we're on our own. We have lost the capacity to be in relationship when we are self-justifying. Self-justifying is always doing this, pushing away. Now, if you've been in our engaged groups, you'll, you, you may have been familiar with this kind of funny little word called SARC. Uh, if you're not in one of our engaged groups, that might be a, a strange word to you, but it, SARC is the Greek root for the word flesh. Okay, so if you've been a Bible-reading person, the word flesh might be very familiar to you. You know, we're not supposed to be in the flesh, as we heard from our reading from Romans. If the Bible's a little odd to you, you might be thinking of hot dogs or something, and they're like, that's kind of a strange word. Um, flesh is just simply, or sark, to, to kind of make it sound kind of snarky and, you know, kind of like characterized. The sark, or the flesh, is that self-justifying part of us. It's what opposes God. And so, in our, in our groups together, we've been talking about the sark, and it's impulse to self-justify. And what we heard from Paul in, in Romans is that the mind of the flesh, or sark, sarks, sark, the mind of the flesh is, is death. And this isn't any small problem here. The mind of the flesh is death. The flesh, or the sark, is hostile to God. This is not benign. It's hostile to God. The sark or the flesh, Paul says, cannot please God, which is kind of ironic because that's what the whole process is. And that when we self-justify, we're trying to please somebody, ourselves, and it's impossible. The flesh cannot please God. Our, our guy that we're reading in our Bible study groups, Jim Wilder, he, he has a really strong way of saying this, which I think is worth reading. Jim Wilder says, self-justification is probably the most consistent, reliable, and definite way to get in trouble with God. God can deal with our sin. A provision is already made, and confession uh, that applies to the solution, but when we justify ourselves, we are stuck. Self-justification is always at the expense of other people. So here's our goal this morning. It's to get a better, it's to get better at recognizing that when we do this, let me say that again, it's to get better at recognizing when we do this, this self-justifying, and turn more quickly to the source of true justification, which is God. Okay, let's look briefly at the parable here. Um, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a famous one, um, and it's a, an incredible one. It's, it's one of those rich parables you just turn to over and over and over again. And here's what the lawyer, the lawyer wants to entrap Jesus, and so he's gonna try to stick it to him in a certain way. And of course, that never works with Jesus. And what's really interesting here is that the guy doesn't quite get the answer he wants, so he's gonna press in a little harder and get himself into more trouble. And he says, the lawyer uh, seeking to justify himself the lawyer seeking to justify himself or desiring to justify himself. This is chapter 10 of Luke, verse 29. Who is my neighbor? 
Okay, so we went through the answer Jesus said, which we say in our liturgy every Sunday, we're to love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Two sides of the same coin, or two sides of the Ten Commandments. You know, you see those big, the picture of Moses carrying the two tablets. One side is the love of God and the other, the other is the love of neighbor because it's the image of God that's at stake there. And so he says, who is my neighbor? Okay, we get the neighbor part, Jesus, but who is my neighbor? Now this is a huge question for the Jewish people, which I won't go into, but he's kind of picking up on a really difficult challenge. He wants Jesus to narrow the scope so that he can kind of box him out not really interested in his neighbor at all. And see, this is the first, th this is a really interesting dynamic. You can see right here, he's not interested in his neighbor, even though he's talking about it. See how that masquerades? Hey, Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's asking not about his neighbor. He's asking about himself. And see, Jesus isn't fooled by it. We are, we fool ourselves. Of course I love my neighbor. Did you not hear me just ask the question, who is my neighbor? Am I not concerned about my neighbor? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm not buying that. You're seeking to justify yourself. It's got nothing to do with your neighbor at all. And again, I, you know, this is us, right? That this, this is the presumption of our sermon is that we're identifying with this guy. So Jesus uh, understands that this guy's in trouble. He has lost God's sight God cites a phrase that we're using a little bit in our engaged groups too. It's the, God cites a helpful word that just says, do I see God, what he's doing, what he's like, where he's working? And this poor lawyer has none, none of it. And, and Jesus is now gonna shift the frame so that he can show him something he's not seen before. And he describes three people, two of which justify themselves just like the lawyer, and one that does something that can hardly be justified. So we have the priest and the Levite. Now, priests and Levites are biblical terms. You can find them in the Old Testament if you look in your Bible's concordance. And if you look up priests and Levites, you will see that there are laws that apply specifically to a priest or a Levite. By the way, I should explain. A, a Levite is a tribe of Israel. So Israel has 12 tribes that are named after people in a family. Okay, so there's a guy in the family named Levi, and all of his descendants are the tribe of Levi, and the Levites were specially dedicated to serve in the temple. And that's why if you read, there's a whole book in the Old Testament called Leviticus. Do you hear the word Levi in there? Levi, Leviticus, it's about how to be a priest. So the priests and the Levites, the, the, the Levites were specially dedicated to temple worship, and so they were instructed on how to do this. And believe it or not, there were very clear laws about priests and Levites and how they were not to touch dead bodies. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people except for his closest relatives. That's the rule. A priest would make himself unclean or unfit for temple service if he touched a dead person, except if it was his, part of his nuclear family. All right, so it says in Leviticus, a priest shall not go into any dead bodies. Pretty clear, all right? So you'd say, well, gosh, I mean, why is Jesus picking on the priests and the Levites 
for passing this guy by. And you might think that Jesus is poking at the Torah, at God's Old Testament. And some people have this idea. Well, that, see, the Old Testament got it kind of wrong. Now this is the New Testament, and now Jesus is correcting it. That's not the case here. Okay, this is about self-justification. It's about the priests and the Levites reading, the, the old, reading the, the God's word and using it to legitimate their neglect so that they didn't have to inconvenience themselves because there are provisions for that kind of circumstance. The Torah did not say to the priests and the Levites, be heartless, cruel people who walk by people when they're suffering. That's not what it says. It doesn't say anything about what to actually do with a dead person. It didn't say to the Levite, hey, when you see a dead person, here's how you show mercy. It was just strictly saying that you shouldn't touch a dead, dead person so that you're not unclean. It doesn't t it's not going into the details of how to help someone. And in fact, the Jewish community at the time of Jesus was talking about this very thing. In fact, you can find Jewish uh, writing at the time of Jesus in a book called the Mishnah, which is writings about the time of Jesus, where they're talking about what to do in this situation. The Levites and the priests who walked by that man could have done something much different than they did, but what they did was they justified themselves. They said, I don't have to do that. The Bible says I shouldn't do it. I'm, I'm home free. All right, so they justified themselves, and it's so subtle. Do you see how the weight of the argument is on the lawyer and on the priest and the Levite to justify themselves using God's word? And they felt justified. However, they were completely and utterly wrong. They did not have God's sight. They did not obey the scripture. They did not do God's will. And they were not acting like who they were meant to be. They weren't acting like themselves. The Jewish people of all people were called to bear witness to the mercy of God. That's what they were made to do. And had they done that, they would have had unbelievable resources from God to do that very thing. Which you see in the Good Samaritan, he had plenty. He had plenty of time. He had plenty of money. And if he didn't, he was confident that God would supply it. And the priest and the Levite would have found the same thing in their circumstance. The priest and the Levite did great harm to that man they harmed themselves. They harmed the vocation of Israel. Now, the Good Samaritan, he had God's sight. Interestingly and provocatively, as you may know, Samaritans were a group of people that the Jewish people despised, and the feel feeling was mutual. There's a whole long history why that was the case. Uh, but these were two groups of people that did not get along well at all it would be uncommon to hear a Jewish person speaking to his community about the example of the Samaritan and vice versa. The Samaritan would not commonly be giving stories of the good Jewish people to his family and friends. They were uh, at enmity. 
And that's what's so amazing about this story is that the God sight of the Samaritan actually formed a bond between himself and the Jewish person. When he saw him, he had, the Bible says, compassion. Passion with. If you look at the word compassion, the C-O-M part means with. It forms a bond. There's something going on between this man, the Samaritan, and the wounded man. That's the Holy Spirit. He did the right thing. He was actually fulfilling what God wanted to be fulfilled. One of the prophets, and the prophets were really good at at speaking to Israel about their broken way of looking at the Torah, God's word. The, the, the Jewish people would get into this self-justifying mode and the prophets would come in and break that and say, hey, you're not seeing this the right way. And they'd say it firm. And here's what one of those prophets, his name is Hosea, here's what he said in Hosea chapter six, verse six. Hosea is speaking God's words. This is God speaking. God says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You can't use the Torah to justify a lack of compassion, God says. Here's the way Paul would pick that up, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Rome. He said, if I deliver my body up to be burned, my body itself to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So you can see that it was never God's intention to have his word be so misconstrued as to neglect someone in need. And very interestingly, the Samaritan pours in, it says, oil and wine, which of course had medicinal value, uh, and, and that's why he was doing it. But oil and wine are sacrificial elements. The Jewish people would use oil and wine in their sacrifices. And you can see here how the Samaritan is taking those very elements and applying them in the way that God wanted them to be applied. It's really remarkable. This, this just shows us so much about God's character. This is what our God does. This is what his people do when they're like him. This is what we do when we're like him. The Samaritan sees his neighbor as an ally, not as an enemy. He sees the solidarity between himself and the other one. He sees the connection and the relationship, and he brings that relationship to fruition by creating belonging and togetherness and solidarity and shared resources. So beautiful. That's what Jesus does. In fact, the early church fathers, when they read this parable, would read it as a type of Christ. They would say the good Samaritan basically is Jesus. This man did not justify himself, the Samaritan. He could have, he could have more easily justified himself by saying, I'm a Samaritan, that guy's a Jew. let, Let them take care of themselves. I got enough of my own people's problems to deal with. He could have justified himself, but he didn't even think about it. He didn't make a conscious decision like I'm talking about not to kind of work through a problem. He just had compassion. And he did what compassionate people do. He suffered himself. He spent. He kept the account open. He didn't fear, or if he did, he wasn't controlled by it. He said, when I come back, I will pay what you spend. It's a complete picture, a complete circle of care, a reconciliation. And that's why it's so powerful. 
So how do we come to have this compassion? I mean, the, the Good Samaritan wasn't simply tr- trying to work on a spiritual problem. He didn't go to church and they said, now you ought to be this way. It's like, okay, I'm going to try hard. Can we, who are the lawyer, we're the priest, we're the Levite, can we fulfill Jesus' mandate to go and do likewise simply by trying harder? No, we cannot the lawyer would not have gone away from hearing this with a simple intellectual conclusion which goes like, I should not do this, I should do that. Okay, that's, now, now I'm not confused. He would have been cut to the heart. That's what would have happened. He wouldn't have tried to figure anything out. He just would have been cut to the heart and that's how we need to be. That's where compassion develops is when our hearts are cut You see that when Peter preaches to the Jewish people right after the resurrection of Jesus. He preaches hard words. This Jesus who you crucified and the Jewish people were cut to the heart and that cutting allowed the compassion of God to enter in and they said, what must we do to be saved? That's the beginning. Jesus wasn't giving an intellectual response to an intellectual question. He was ministering to this man And so that's what we have to do first of all. Our first response today, now, is simply to say and to admit we do this. We justify ourselves all the time. Let's just admit it. Let's just be cut to the heart. We self-justify. We make excuses. We use whatever rationalizations we can grab like a drowning man grabs a life preserver. We will grab the closest rationalization and self-justification that we can to save us from drowning in the sea of our own fault. We are blind. This is part of our repentance and part of our confession is just to admit it. We do it constantly. And then we can so more easily move to the heart of the matter, which is if we can't justify ourselves, who can? And that's the good news The good news is our second response this morning, which is to just more fully and completely embrace that God is the only one who can justify us. And that is exactly what he did through Jesus Christ, our good Samaritan. Our self-justifications can be provoked by all kinds of things. When we get overwhelmed by the need that we see, Rather than just saying, I am so overwhelmed by that need that I see, we justify ourselves and say, I'm in a rush right now. We we self-justify when we're ashamed to admit that we're wrong, which is understandable, but no less good for that fact. (laughs) We want to defend ourselves. When we make mistakes, when we're pursuing a cause, when we we want recognition, and there's all kinds of reasons why we self-justify, and some of us are more prone to some of those reasons than others. It's good for us to reflect on it so that we can see it when it's happening and say, instead of saying, you know, um, I I gotta walk by that guy because I'm in a rush, it's better just to say, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what to do. That would be non-self-justifying. We can repent and express our need for God's justification. It's a wonderful thing that every moment of every day we can recognize and call out for the justification of Jesus Christ. He's justified us once forever upon the cross and the power of that justification is available to us every minute of every day. 
He has justified us completely, and he is justifying us even now, and he will justify us when we stand before him on the day of judgment. That's the promise. It's, it's, it's immovable, God's self-justification. We are forgiven. We're not okay. Just God's justification doesn't, he doesn't look at us and say, hey, you know what? You're okay. He doesn't say we're okay. We're not okay. He says, you're forgiven. You're a new creation. You're covered. My blood literally covers you, which is the antidote to shame when we feel exposed. We're redeemed. We're saved from our own mistakes and our own sins. This is how Paul says it in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And we are justified or yet yeah, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ who God put forward as an atonement by his blood to be received by faith. That's the antidote to self-justification. The way we develop compassion for other people is to experience deeply the love of God ourselves. And this is what I'd like to end on. We can't stir up compassion for other people by trying harder. It's just not the way it works. The way compassion develops in our heart is that we experience deeply the compassion of Jesus Christ personally. And that's what we're learning how to do together, isn't it? To say to God, whenever I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I won't self-justify. To say to Jesus, I'm grateful for you. I appreciate you. I thank you for your gift. I haven't earned it. I don't need to claim it or hold it. I can receive it. We're learning how to share our God's sight with other people. Hey, tell me about how you saw God. Let me share with you how I saw God. Let's enjoy that and celebrate together. Look at those butterflies. Thank God. That's how we begin to experience the fact that God is justifying. As much as we justify ourselves, God will justify us twice as much and twice as often if we let him. There's never, ever, ever a need to justify ourselves. Be delivered of it. Just be free to say, I don't know what to do. I need help. I'm embarrassed. Hey, you have a good point. I made a mistake. I need to slow down. Will you forgive me? There's never a need to self-justify because God has justified us already. And you'll notice that when God, we let God justify us, we develop God's sight, our compassion grows, our resources are flourish, we're strengthened for the relationships that we need and we see God working in us and through us and we become the person that God meant us to be and the people that God meant us to be so that we can help the people that God intends for us to help. Amen.